Please remember, the information in our podcast could be a trigger for some people. And if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre 24-hour helpline is 1800 77 8888. Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Cabin Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Count Me In podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be discussing disclosure. Why do you think disclosure was so, is so difficult for victims of abuse? Because they're trained to keep this secret, like their whole lives have revolved around keeping a secret. And then to break that is like going against everything you've ever known and every, ever done. So I can understand why it's so difficult. And then of course all the stories that are out there about people that do um, bring up their abuse and they lose their entire families. And it's nearly always a family member or somebody known to the family. Like how many times have we, even over the last few years, met people who said, I've never told anybody, you're the first person I've said it to. Just I would be aware that people who haven't been abused and haven't lived in that situation, they might even understand as a child why you didn't tell anybody, but they really struggle with seeing people now coming out as adults and telling their stories. And that's the one thing I know is a block for people who haven't been abused, because they're looking at victims coming out and part of them are thinking, if it was that bad, why did it take you 30 years to tell somebody? It's because it's it was that, that bad. Think about the confusion. When we're talking, we talked about, for instance, making a statement and it felt like you're nearly confessing rather than making a statement. So there's huge elements in that about why you wouldn't disclose. And then, you know, there is a mindset that you believe, you know, did happen so many years ago. Like, you know, I'm, I'm grand, let's just move on. The biggest obstacle would be the fact that you take responsibility for this crime. And therefore, who's going who's gonna to rat themselves out? You're confused about your role in the whole thing. And yeah. When the abuse had stopped and when I was then an adult, yeah. I didn't understand that I was damaged because of the abuse. So I never thought at that age that I would actually need to talk to somebody about it. It's all part of the same thing. It's that mess that's in your head where you're holding responsibility. You feel you don't know what part you played in it. You're not clear if you're actually telling on yourself. The majority of the damage that's done by abuse is hidden, even to the person who's been abused. So therefore that desire to tell somebody isn't necessarily there. Yeah, and a strong message <coughs> we, we need to try and put across is for the people that they haven't yet disclosed and think like that. They don't like, need to. Yeah. And that's a big mistake they make because we we did it up to a point. When this, before this all broke, we were walking around like, uh, you know, sheer devastation, but we didn't know it. So we were just coping. We were stumbling through life, going from one drama to another. And also because you're hiding the damage from yourself. Because you've developed a mask that you go out into society and live it with that you're not even fully aware of. I think for most people to disclose, it would take an event. It would take a catalyst. You won't even sit down one night and think, that's it, now I'm telling somebody. It will be a catalyst. For us, it was watching 
that program on the Late Late Show where your woman talked about her abuse. Constance Nightingale. Need. But at the same time, Paula, like when I made that call, it was myself and Jude having a conversation. Yeah, there must be something wrong with us. Like you couldn't live through all that and, you know, not have something wrong with you. So it wasn't a, a conscious thing. That was just a spur at the moment reaction to something. I thought, God, that's great. There is help out there. I didn't think that any further than that. And if things didn't happen the way they happened for us, I think I would have went to the grave room. When we were children and tried to disclose, whatever you're met with will determine whether you'll we'll try it again. again. Yeah. So when you tried to disclose to the doctor, Joyce. But I was 16 at that time. And I went to an office day and I just, I, I was crying all the time. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was happening. But I knew, I felt like, shit. And I went to an office day. I mean, the way I disclosed was, my dad's doing things to me. He told me to go home. That dad was coming down to him and he would sort it. Never asked, what is he doing? Uh, he wouldn't have had to. No, but you see, yeah. it just shows the element of how many people actually did know and understand without you ever having to say a word. Yeah. And in them days, we would have said, nobody knew because nobody wanted to know. I don't know how I did that. It but I know after I did it and nothing happened, I was fucking delighted because... At that stage, I was like a child because all I wanted was for it to stop. I didn't want him arrested. I, that wouldn't have entered my head. I just wanted it to stop. And when nothing happened, I was actually relieved because I thought it was too big a burden for me to carry. I couldn't deal with that. I had nightmares then thinking he was going to kill me. And what if they asked me more questions? What am I going to say? Because it was a year after I tried to commit suicide. And it wasn't to die because I never actually wanted to die. But I wanted something in there to die. So... It, all of that was a mixture of what happened in my attempt at suicide. And then why you wanted to keep your mouth shut from there on in. Yeah. But I remember Joyce coming back and saying he won't do that to us any, us anymore. I remember those words coming out of our mouth. And I remember where I was sitting on the stairs when he told me. And I remember getting up thinking, I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I'm walking out. And I walked straight out of that house. We were in your friend's house. Over across the road. And he called me and I raped me. At that particular moment in time, I didn't know who I hated more, him or you. Yeah. Because she had sold me a fairy tale and he had just taken it away. The first time I disclosed as a child, it was to a friend. I couldn't have been more than eight or nine. We became blood sisters where you prick your little finger and you tell each other everything, you know, no secrets and all that. And I told her, and I was extremely vague in my words. And I remember the look of confusion on her face. She wouldn't have known what I was trying to tell her. But to me, I screamed out what was happening. And I was waiting for her to go and tell her mother, who was like daddy. As in, she was the only one I thought that was aggressive enough to stand up to him. And like that, for weeks, I waited for her to come over and do something. And nothing ever happened. Yeah, and remember I told a priest, <clears throat> I think we were getting ready for our first communion. The whole school had to go over. And as a... In preparation for the communion, you had to do your, your first confession. But I was one of the last people in the class to go in. And so that doesn't work well for me. I, if I make a decision to do something, I need it to be over with. Like sitting with it actually is death. But I'm sitting on the pew waiting for my turn to go in. I do remember getting into the confessional was a frightening experience on a good day. Yeah. And I was afraid of God because I thought God was on his side. Yeah, he must have been. 
I remember getting stepping into the confessional and closing the door and the darkness was frightening. I remember the terror. The minute you close the door, you've got pitch black. Then you kneel down in front of this tiny little window in front of you and you only knew it was there because you saw it before you closed the door. And when you kneel down, you can hear the priest's voice as he talks to the person on the opposite side of the box. And you're doing a countdown, waiting for that to finish. And you'd hear the little door sliding across and then he'd turn to your side and open. And that, that time while you're sitting there waiting would be panic. When you think of what they were doing to people, yeah. indoctrinating them from childbirth, like from youth, yeah. to come into a pitch black box, and tell your sins, and so they would forgive you. Yeah. On behalf of God, who you're also terrified of because of what they've told you. Yeah. I could feel my heart pumping out of my chest nearly. And when the door finally slid across, I, I just wanted to faint. He did the usual blessing your symbol, and, and I just said, my father is doing things to me. And now, I, honest to God, it was so surreal. I can't even believe now, even today, that I did it. But I know his response was, there was a, a pause, and then he came back with, um, what did he use? And I said, what? And he said, what did he use, his finger or his thing? And I thought, oh my God, the terror now. I just thought, oh Jesus, no, this is not good. I just said his thing. The next thing he said was, I want you to, when you go home, I want you to tell your father that you've had a word with me. I want you to come back down here to me with your father. And I just said, right, because I thought, get me the fuck out of here. Because he was taking too long and I could feel, I could hear his breathing. It was like he was getting off on the information. And he said, now bring your father back now, won't you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I nearly fell out of the box. I was very conscious that I was in there longer than anybody else. I looked over my shoulder and he was at the pulling the curtain over to one side. And I thought, oh God, he knows who I am now. He knows he's going to find me. And I went to bed that night and I had a dream, a nightmare, that he was running around the church grounds after me in a short, with the short tails hanging down, but no underwear on it. And that's the way... The Elfley used to go around, he'd have on a pair of socks and a short, but he'd have no underpants on around. So I, I never ever told another priest after that. I think the lead up to communion would have made you believe somewhere inside that if you don't tell this, it's a mortal sin Absolutely. to die. The fact that the three of us tried when we were younger to tell somebody. Yeah, and when you're met with that resistance, why would you ever try again? But like even today, you know, that sounds mild to what's happening to some people today because they're telling and they're telling and they're telling and they're going through the process and they're still not getting justice. I know. Like that's a tough one. Well, I remember ringing uh, a friend of mine, uh, Garda. What advice could we give? Now this is years ago. What advice could we give? Let them keep a diary. Who would keep a diary when they're three and four? And even when we were doing the statements, can you recall a time or a date? Yeah. Or a vet, like where were you? Where was the venue? What was going on? It's that lack of understanding. Paula, we didn't even understand that we didn't hold all the information together. It's yeah. all broken up and put in different sections of the brain because it's too overwhelming. Whereas if you can remember one little thing, it's not going to kill you. But you get the whole lot thrown at you. Like, we didn't understand that. When we gave our statements, we all wrote about three or four incidents. 
And that's all he owned up to in his statement because he got to read ours and admit to it. Whereas the abuse we went through went on for years and years. The day in, day out abuse becomes day in, day out abuse. Yeah. So unless there is those moments like my communion or like Joyce being promised a bike, like you being on a trip to England, unless there's a standout moment, you don't have clear memories of your abuse because you don't store them like that. No. And they do tend to all overlap like they mold into one experience for you it's one awful experience that you distance yourself from but there is nothing unusual about it because it's your norm you can't talk about disclosure without talking about how your memories are stored so the compartmentalization and the disassociation is part of the disclosure process yeah and why disclosing to somebody doesn't happen in an instant is a process it's very slow over a period of time, even if you go to a professional. I kind of feel it's a tragedy for anybody to take this stuff to the grave with them because you are filled with self-hatred whatever way you slice it. But you're filled with hatred because mainly because lies have been told to you from day one. You know, all the grooming process, that's all a lie. All the stories you're told about how important it is to keep a secret. And then, like, for us, we were told every single day how stupid we were. Like, we didn't doubt that for a minute. We even fucking affair. I just saying, if you're one of these that you're saying takes to the grave, you're one of these that lives with those lies as a reality. Exactly. That's told you who you are in life. It yeah. told us who we were. Yeah. Because until we start a bit of self-discovery, and I know we've been doing that forever, but we never actually put that label on it. Let's discover how we got here, why we got here, what did we do and all that. And in that process, we discovered beliefs we had that we were carrying that weren't even ours yeah. and weren't even true. Yeah. So it helps you find a new sense of yourself, probably the first sense of yourself. Well, to find your own truth, your own choice of beliefs, your own choice of feelings, not something that's been imposed and ingrained yeah. and indoctrinated into you. This yeah. is created by an abuser for you to believe certain things about yourself, for you to have whatever thoughts you have, and you don't even question them because you've always thought like that. It's not interrupted, and, and it can be interrupted by disclosure itself because disclosure makes you actually think about things. Disclosure is step one. And I do believe a lot of people who disclose, there's numerous reasons why they would get to the point where they disclose. And for some people it is because they're trying to protect a, a younger sibling. Yeah. Or it could be a debt or a birth. It's usually something traumatic. fairly traumatic in your life that would just bring up all of your pain that you've been dousing down over the years. Even living like that, dousing it down and living. You can't be a nice person to live with. I can only speak from my own experience. But oh, I know without dealing with any of that stuff. Like, I was highly volatile. Um defensive, jealous, all of the negative. Uh, and I was a fucking dream. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, that wouldn't change. It would have never changed on its own. That wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Because I didn't know what was causing it. No, um, and I wouldn't have been volatile, but I would have been You would removed, have been inverted. Emotionally uh, available yeah. to anyone, including myself. But, you know, that would have been hard for my first kids coming over. But we all acted out based on our own experience and personality. So it is absolutely vital that you disclose because like, it is only the first step, but you won't get anything done until you do it. See, I think people assume in order for you to disclose, you have to find someone that you trust. 
I, and the truth of the matter is you have to trust yourself in order to find somebody to disclose because it's about you going I've had enough and if I tell you and you don't believe me then I'm going to go and tell somebody else until somebody believes me and the only thing I would say is the earlier you actually do that hopefully you will not be in your 50s before you find yeah. you're finally stepping into your own life like if you are holding on to this because you don't want to lose your whole family which does tend to happen a lot um, if you're trying not to cause havoc within the family because it's usually a family member who's committed the crime, there's nothing stopping you going on your own volition and getting help without including them in the process yeah. at all. So disclosure doesn't necessarily mean run down to a guard station and make a yeah, no. You don't have to ever go any further with it if you don't want to, yeah. but you need to purge. That's it, because it's for you. It it's not sharing your yeah. story. If you even do it on a confidential helpline, if you just tell somebody, yeah. that's your first step. Because I guarantee you, once you get over that first step, the rest will just come rolling down. You won't have a choice in, in you getting well then, because everything will happen for you then. And you'll realise, I have a right not to live like this anymore. When we were growing up, there was never a word about sexual abuse. Like, you just wouldn't hear it. It's everywhere now today. Yeah. People who are keeping it a secret have to be hearing the message. They're also probably afraid now that if they do come and tell somebody, then they're going to have to go public, go to the court case, waive your anonymity. And that is not the reality for 99% of victims who come forward. Not understanding what's happening is abuse. Because when you're caught fairly young, you don't really understand what's going on. You know no. there's something not right. You know it's also your norm. You know well, you haven't got the language like. to describe it yeah. or or formulate it into a thought in your head. You know you you don't like it. For most abusers with kids, they only have to threaten them for the child to hold on to that and think, oh, I better keep your mouth shut here. A big thing was not having the language to be able to explain what's happening. Because to a child, they don't know how to, to vocalise <coughs> the fear, the hurt. So if I just learned how to be good, yeah. as in I was only being abused because I was bad, it would it would just stop. That's now the combination of the outlet and the church. Yeah. Because we believed God could see us. He could hear us. You couldn't have a thought in your head that he didn't yeah. know about. But so. it was also the combination of the church, him, and psychology because it's well known that children take responsibility for any trouble in the household. If the parents are just arguing, yeah. the child feels the responsibility for that. It was a natural thing. Yeah. And the only conclusion we could come to after, you know, considering the possibilities of, you know, why is he doing this to me? Does, he couldn't know that he's hurting me. Why isn't God stopping it? And is he helping him? And maybe they're doing that. Maybe I deserve it. And it's a natural foregone conclusion for you to work out with your limited understanding and vocabulary. You arrive at, it must be me. We all tried to tell somebody and nothing happened. You were also brought up to believe that nobody had more power than him. Yeah. You saw him standing up to absolutely everybody, police and everything. He didn't appear to have fear in him. In relation to anybody we only saw other people having fear in relation to him so the message we got loud and clear was like there's god and there's him i think i always knew i was stronger than him that i could take it that he couldn't i thought when i had visions of him being battered i felt he couldn't take that i felt like i could nearly take it better than him i do think kids at a very young age can see or feel things but i do remember standing mommy was peeling potatoes at the sink and I'm standing behind her. And I remember very clearly making a conscious decision. She can't help me. It must have been my head to tell her. And I made a decision there and then that she wouldn't be able to help me. She wouldn't be strong enough. That doesn't necessarily mean it was true. But it means 
I, as a child. That's the conclusion you came to. Everybody else is mind and everybody else. Yes. Silence kills lives. Yeah. Kills yeah. lives. Destroys. If it was me now and I was listening to this and I wanted to disclose for the first time, I would take this so it's known that, no, she's not expecting me to go down to the police station. This is not about getting justice even. We're not going that far. Step one is telling. And it doesn't matter who you tell. And it may never, ever go any further than that person. It's about purging, telling your secret. Just tell somebody because it's like eating poison and expecting somebody else to die. You're riddled with the poison and the poison is the lies that you picked up over the years, holding that secret. That's all poison and you need to get that out of your system. So if you could go somewhere and get sick in a bucket, now I'm not saying it'll be over, it's the start for a new journey, but you do need to go to that bucket and it doesn't matter who that bucket is. I think it's really, really important to understand that disclosure doesn't happen in a one-off. Disclosure happens over a long period of time. What you mean by that is, I could tell you now, and nothing could happen for years, but it's the, it's the beginning of a process. Yeah. It take years for me to get the full story out, and it might not all be to the same person. Well, it just reminds me of when we were kids, and I went to the doctor. That was my disclosure, right? I wanted it out. I didn't want anything to happen. I didn't even care if he never did a thing. It actually gave me breathing space and it took years and for me to ever even consider disclosing again. Thanks for listening. Hopefully some of the information we have shared will resonate with you. This will give you a deeper understanding of yourself, plus allow you to move into a space where you can show compassion to yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel, or how you reacted to the abuse, it was normal. We are hopeful and optimistic that those in any position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. Thank you. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits from your healing. You've been listening to the Kavna Sisters Count Me In podcast. You can contact us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or directly at thecavnasisters at gmail.com. We would like to leave you with a quote that you can take with you throughout your day. The single act of keeping your experience of childhood sexual abuse a secret has cost you your life. The life you have lived that was shaped out of the abuse and keeping the secret is not the life you would have chosen. But whether you know it or not, you now have choices. Why not choose a life free of the pain and suffering gifted to you by your abuser?